Mayo Clinic Radio presents a conversation about bogus cancer treatments and cancer myths with Mayo Clinic oncologist Dr. Timothy Moynihan. The show hosts are Dr. Tom Shives and Tracy McRae. This podcast was recorded on May 24th, 2017. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration, that is the agency that's responsible for policing the American food and drug market, well, they're cracking down on companies that are making bogus cancer treatment claims. And let's face it, there's a lot of them out there. The FDA has actually issued warning letters to 14 different companies that it says are illegally selling more than 65 products that fraudulently claim to prevent, diagnose, treat, or cure cancer. The FDA, in fact, calls it cruel deception. Companies promising desperate consumers that their products can cure cancer. Here to discuss these and other cancer myths is Mayo Clinic oncologist, Dr. Timothy Moynihan. Welcome back to the program, Dr. Moynihan. It's good to see you. Great. Thanks for having me, Tracy and Tom. We always appreciate being here. All right, Dr. Moynihan. You know, I think most of us feel that it's about time that the FDA started cracking down on quacks. You agree? I absolutely agree. There, there, as you say, there's a lot of things out there. There always has been. For time immemorial, people have sold snake oils and other things to people. And unfortunately, they're selling it for people in desperate situations. So I understand why they want this. They want a simple and easy fix for whatever is wrong with them. But unfortunately, people are doing this fraudulently. And what they're doing, they're transferring money from your pocket to their pocket and not helping you at all. Yeah, it's unfortunate, isn't it? It for is. Sure. What is uh, what's one of the worst perpetrators of this that you think that you're glad to hear that the FDA is going to start cracking down? Well, I, I don't know if there's any one worst one we can talk about. There are, there are so many of them, uh, but people clearly are making claims to things that they have no data to, to back up. And this is exactly what the FDA is looking for. Uh, the FDA regulations say that uh, they cannot uh, advertise or sell a product for something that which they do not have data to support the, their, their claims. If they make false claims, they should not be allowed to sell or make money from that, uh, from that particular product. And most of these companies do not have data that su supports that. What are they claiming to do? I mean, <clears throat> obviously, if you've got cancer, you want to get rid of the cancer. Mm -hmm. And so I would imagine they're saying, we'll help you get rid of the cancer. Absolutely. So, and, and that's a very reasonable thing for someone with cancer to have. They want to get rid of it. They're willing to do anything they can. And that's perfectly reasonable. What is unreasonable is for somebody to sell something claiming it gets rid of cancer, yet they have no information that it actually does do what it says. So what the FDA wants is they want some type of proof. And what uh, most of the cancer drug manufacturers need to do, they need to run what are called clinical trials to demonstrate that their drug does what they say it does. And what they do is get many people involved in a trial, sometimes in the thousands of patients, sometimes in the hundreds of patients, but they say that uh, X number of people got their drug and they can show with tests that this drug did shrink cancer or made cancer better or sometimes even made cancer go away. Well, if they're making false claims about what their product can do, I don't really trust them to not say, hey, there's been clinical trials that prove our product works. So how can you prove that there actually has been clinical trials completed? Right. And so <clears throat> the FDA also has rules about this and that there has to be monitoring committees that are independent from the uh, manufacturer of the drug. They have no financial ties, they, have, they do not work for the companies, but they oversee the data and they get to monitor the data blindly and independently and say, yes, these drugs do 
meet the claims that the company's making or no, they do not make meet, meet the claims that the company is making. If they do not re reach that criteria, then the FDA says you should not be allowed to make money from this or advertise that this does uh, cures cancer or treats cancer in an appropriate way. The FDA has targeted 14 companies, yes. 65 different products. Right. Is this just the tip of the iceberg? Oh, just a very, very small piece of the iceberg, absolutely. There's, there's a lot more out there. There's so many things online. People hear about the th things from their neighbors and they're from their friends. And again, all with good intention, but unfortunately sometimes these things just do not stack up to the claims that are made that are made for them. Are most of the, the, the drugs that they're talking about or the products that they're talking about, these 65, are most of them sold online? Uh, th they're very frequently sold online, and certainly the ad advent of the Internet has helped to explode this. But certainly these drugs existed f for, for many decades, if not centuries, prior to this time, too. It was, it's much easier and faster to reach a much larger audience with the internet than you could before. But remember, in the, in the 1800s, there was the snake oil salesman who would drive his wagon, a covered wagon from town to town and sell, you know, Dr. James's snake oil. This is good for your rheumatism, your cancer, and your emphysema. And it, and, and it turned out to be not much more than alcohol and Sometimes some snakes were actually in there. <laughs> Alcohol, oh yeah. I wonder if they felt better. Are there <laughs> buzzwords that uh, consumers should look out for? Is there anything that's a dead giveaway? <clears throat> I think there are, are a couple common sense rules that go a long ways, okay? And number one, if the claim sounds too good to be true, it probably is, okay? I would, you know, somebody says one dose of this and absolutely no side effects and you'll be absolutely cured of your disease, that's a pretty difficult pill to swallow. I, I, I just don't believe that's going to happen. Two, if you have to mortgage the house to buy it, I would be very skeptical of that. Okay? I would not trust anybody where I had to sell my soul uh, or you know, sell my child to, to get the It's the so, expensive. so expensive. I would be very worried about that. But three, if something sounds reasonable to you okay, and doesn't meet those first two criteria and you want to try it, two things. One, go ahead and try it. But discuss it with your physician. Be very open and honest with your physician. Tell them, I'm trying this grapeseed extract, or I'm trying this vitamin C, et cetera. And because what we want to not have happen is that to interfere with treatments that we do know do work, okay? Mm -hmm. And most physicians, as long as you're honest with them, they'll be willing to work with you. They'll probably tell you a straight answer. They may tell you they don't know. They may tell you, I have no experience with this. They may tell you, I'm really worried about that drug interacting with my drugs. Uh, or they say, this is, this is a really harmful product. They, and they, they will probably be honest with you. You know, it's really not surprising that people are willing to try things that are out there because the treatments that we have available don't always work. Chemotherapy, absolutely. radiation. Well, and they're and not pleasant either. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it, it could be the end of the line, and, and your uh, oncologist has said, you know, we've tried every drug, and it, and it hasn't worked, and there's not much more, and there's no experimental trials for you, and, well, it, you know, you c it's understandable. Absolutely, and th these people are in a, in a situation where they just want to get better, and sometimes modern medicine I isn't good enough for them. We don't have enough things, so I understand the, the, the desire to pursue those things, um, and uh, again, what I'd really want people to do is, is be honest with the people they're working with. Stay with the medicines that, that we know work, even though a lot of times our medicines only work a little bit. 
okay? But they can work. Yep. At a cost, as exactly as Tracy mm -hmm. said, they, they are, do, do cause side effects. They do cause hair to fall out. They do cause nausea. We can make people sick with our treatments. What we don't want to do, we don't make them more sick because we're adding in some unproven thing that makes things worse. So we just want to be careful with those things. You know, while we're while you're here, I want to ask you one quick question. If there's anything out there available on the Internet or anywhere else that will actually help prevent cancer. I know, you know, it's diet, it's exercise, and we've all heard mm -hmm. that. Anything else? Anything on the market that you would say, you know, that might be worthwhile to take this because it helps prevent cancer? I really wish we had that. Yeah. Okay. And what we do have exactly what you've said, a healthy diet, uh, maintaining your weight, Exercise is a good thing. There are some things, uh, low-dose aspirin may play a significant role in decreasing the risk of future colon cancers or uh, other things. Certainly not harmful. Again, discuss with your doctor. Make sure you don't have a reason to not take aspirin or that aspirin doesn't interfere with some other medicine you're taking for some other purpose. Uh, but there are a few things out there like that. In terms of the over-the-counter things, uh, there's nothing that we know of. Uh, FDA recently talked about the whole multivitamin market that the vast majority of those things really don't do the things they're claimed to do either. And you can probably accomplish the same thing, if not in a better form, by getting a well-balanced diet. All right. Well, uh, that's the key. Uh, there's nothing out there. Uh, you got to take care of yourself. It's <laughs> the bottom line. You got to take care of yourself. <laughs> you need to get good rest. You need to avoid smoking. Avoid alcohol in excess. In moderation is probably fine. Uh, uh, control your weight. Uh, try and reduce stress. Stress is terrible in our lives, and it seems like we're getting more and more of that as, uh, as our society gets more electronic. Uh, and so take time for yourself um, and try and relax a little bit. Our guest is medical oncologist, cancer specialist, Dr. Timothy Moynihan. And in this segment, we're going to separate fact from fiction. And we'll start with the one we mentioned just before the break. Yes, Dr. Moynihan, myth or matter of fact, high-dose vitamin C is beneficial in treatments of patients with advanced cancer. Is that a myth or a fact? Yeah, th th this is somewhere in between the two, okay? Uh, there have been these vitamin C treatments touted for a long time. This dates back to Linus Pauling, who is the, uh, one of the few two-time Nobel Prize winners, uh, who strongly advocated for this. Uh, right now, there are no firm data that so show that vitamin C has a role in fighting cancer. There are many clinics that have been set up to, to administer high-dose IV vitamin C. And what we know what happens with most of that stuff, you end up passing it out in your urine and feeding the fish with it. So Just gives you expensive urine. It, yeah. it gives you very expensive and probably good-smelling urine. <laughs> uh, so I, I don't know if that's what we're trying to accomplish. But is that something there, that's being studied? Is there are some said? studies going okay. on exactly looking at that because in, in some uh, lab tests, there are some reasons to think that vitamin C might have some beneficial effect against cancer cells. So far in the clinic or in trials in patients, it has not shown to have a, a much of any effect at all. So I, this is one where I'd say stay tuned. Uh, I would not pursue it right now. I have no reason to think it helps. Fortunately, it's a fairly non-toxic therapy, but it could be expensive just because of the uh, cost of going to a place that administers it. But I wouldn't have my sister get this. All right. You're working on it. We're working on it. All right, here's another one. One drink of alcohol a day can increase the risk of breast cancer recurrence. So a woman who's had breast cancer, if she has a drink a day, it's more likely that her cancer is going to come back. Recent study. 
Yeah, this is a recent study. It's actually a very large recent study looking at many, um, uh, actually several million patients in the, in the study. It was a population-based study. And it looked like those women who did drink more than one drink a day seemed but to have a higher risk. this was one drink, I thought. This uh, was just one. Just one. Yeah. Well, one or more per, oh, per day. Okay. So it, it, it had one or more. Oh, okay. So there is All a right. caveat in there. All right. So we, we do know that uh, alcohol is metabolized to estrogen in uh, women. And this is well, se- right? seems to be more common, it, uh, particularly in postmenopausal women. So there seems to be some small association between the alcohol intake and uh, breast cancer risk in women in the postmenopausal setting. Is this an association or is this a causation? We do not know. So does the, do the alcohol actually cause it or is it just some type of association or there's something else in there that we haven't detected yet? Well, now that's, that's so interesting mm-hmm. to hear you say that because we know that alcohol is metabolized in the body, but you said in women, part of the metabolite, part of it ends up as estrogen? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it can actually increase the serum estrogen levels to some small degree. Does it make a difference which kind of alcohol it is? No. Okay. It prob- probably does not. So I, I think the idea is that uh, modest alcohol intake is probably very safe. Uh, there are probably larger factors. Again, getting back to exactly what you've mentioned before, Tom, about a- exercise, maintaining a healthy weight, a balanced diet are probably more important than the alcohol. Uh, but if, if you're a woman that's worried about breast cancer, I might confine it to two to three uh, drinks per week. No, no more than that. That's probably perfectly safe. If my social media feed is to be believed, sugar feeds cancer. <laughs> is that a myth or is that a fact? Uh, mo- mostly a myth. So uh, a- as with everything, there's some truth in everything. Basically, every cell in your body runs on glucose. That's how our muscles work. That's how our brain works. That's how our heart works. Everything oh, works that way. That's how our tumors work. That's how our tumors work also. Ah. And there is an effect known as the Warburg effect, and that if we actually starve healthy cells and starve cancer cells, the cancer cells are more likely to die without the presence of sugar around, whereas healthy cells may use other uh sources of energy to continue to live. Like kale, Dr. Shives. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, um, uh, I, again, in, in, in a live living patient, it probably doesn't make any significant effect. Now, if you had a, a diet that consisted only of Coke and Twinkies, there would be a big problem, okay? okay. So that would be a big problem. If you're getting a reasonable, healthy diet, there's nothing wrong with having a few simple sugars, a piece of cake every now and again, of ice cream every now and again. Shouldn't be every meal, shouldn't be every time. All right, exposing cancer to the air can make it spread. There's no reason to think that that happens. Uh, Tom, being a surgeon, you know, you know this very well. Uh, we have, have not seen that happen. I think this came about because of in the past, people would do an operation to try and treat somebody's cancer. They open the body up and they see it's all over the place. And uh, so uh, it was it, was it wasn't because of the air. It was, the, it was there already. <laughs> yeah. It was just a surprise finding because they couldn't see it on the previous yeah. studies. That's kind of one of the original cancer myths. Yes, I is do that believe it is. A yes. cancer surgery will cause the cancer to spread. And there's no reason to think it does. What about, um, Dr. Shives mentioned breast cancer. What about antiperspirants and deodorants? Uh, Surely that one's cancer? not st- still around, is it? <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. It is on my is Facebook feed. Is it really? Right. Yeah, and there, there, there's, there's no link between the use of antiperspirants and development of breast cancer. Uh, again, one from a physiologic mechanism. I don't understand how that would work, but certainly from the epidemiologic data that we have, 
those people who use antiperspirants do not seem to get cancer at a higher rate than people who do not use them. All right. Eating meat cooked on the charcoal grill will increase your cancer risk. You're, you're asking and this no just way. as it we just start summer. Start yeah. summer and he's getting, getting the grills <laughs> fired up. Exactly. We use it all winter long. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we do know that grilling meat, especially uh, uh, where you get the burn on the meat uh, from the, like a charcoal grilling, um, uh, does create some uh, chemicals that have some cancer-causing properties. In mice. Uh, in mice. <laughs> yeah, so it's in the lab only. And again, if eaten in a modest amount, it's probably very, very safe, and you're probably not harming yourself. So there's no good data to suggest that happens, although some cancer-causing chemicals are generated when you do char meat. So again, in a, in taking it in moderate doses, certainly very reasonable. Don't feed it to your mice. All right, yeah. very good. I've got a keen interest in this one. Some injuries can cause cancer later in life. So in general, uh, trauma or can uh, does not cause cancer. The exception to that is when you have a trauma that leads to a chronic non-healing wound. And in that setting where there's a chronic area of inflammation from a non-healing wound, that can lead to cancer. It's very rare, it's extraordinarily rare. It's almost always confined to that focal area. Uh, but in general, just plain trauma from getting hit, uh, from being tackled in a football game, uh, from uh, a car accident, that will not cause cancer. All right, some forms of cancer, some cancers can be contagious. Uh, interestingly, we do not uh, know of that in humans. There has been recently described in Tasmanian devils a transmissible uh, facial tumor that is actually devastating the uh, Tasmanian devil population in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, but that's the only reported case of it. We don't know of that in humans. There are some causes of cancer that are transmissible, particularly as there are several viruses. The human papilloma virus, which can be uh, associated with various uh, head and neck cancers. Uh, the uh, uh, cancer of the cervix can also be caused by human papillomavirus. Uh, so there are uh, forms of transmissible cause of virus. Hepatitis uh, B and C certainly can cause lead to liver cancer. So there are many forms of uh, infections that can lead to cancer, but we, we have yet to describe a human cancer that can be transmitted from one person to another. All right, there you go. We have separated myth from fact when it comes to cancer. Dr. Timothy Moynihan, cancer specialist, Mayo Clinic, thanks so much for being here. Always a pleasure. Any medical information conveyed during this program is not intended as a substitute for personal medical advice, and you should not take any action before consulting a healthcare professional. For the latest in health and medical news, go to newsnetwork.mayoclinic.org.